welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message. I want to tell you a quick little story. A teacher was wanted to do an experiment with her class. And so she said to the students who were in the class, I'm going to hold up two pieces of paper. One's got a long line on it and one's got a short line. Now, there's a student outside the classroom who's unaware of this experiment. What I want you to do, when I hold up the long line, I want you to, I'm going to ask, say to you, is this the shortest line? And I want you to all put your hands up and say yes. Do it incorrectly. They said, okay. So she invited the student in. She held up the two cards and she said to the rest of the class, holding up the long line, is this the shortest line? And all the students put their hand up. And so the student who was unaware of the experiment put her hand up as well. And they did that about three or four times. And every time the student who was unaware of the experiment put their hand up when they saw all the other students put their hand up. What is that? What is it that makes someone answer the wrong, give the wrong answer because of pressure from others around them? You know, sometimes as adults we do that. Sometimes in a, in a um, situation like this, the speaker might say, why did Jesus really die on the cross? And we sort of stand there and go, well, I think I know, but maybe I'm going to say... Mm. And then the speaker says, this is not a trick question. Oh, and then everyone puts their hand up. What is that? You know what it is? It's a common problem that we all have. And it can either be something that affects us in a small way or a big way. And it's the fear of man. It's the fear of looking silly. It's the fear of looking stupid. It's the fear of being wrong. It's the fear of being rejected. It's the fear of being criticised. It's the fear of being judged. And we all have it to some extent or another, or all, all have experienced it. And we're all on a journey of getting out of it, or we're nearly out of it. But it's been something that has affected me my whole life, fear of man. Yeah. And when our focus is on worrying about all those things, like every now and then we're going to face circumstances where we get a little bit like... But when we focus on that all the time, when we worry about it, when we're concerned about it, when we feel that we're going to be judged, when we feel we're going to be criticised, it becomes a real problem. We feel that even during maybe, we just want to have fun in a karaoke session, but we sort of think like, oh, I'm going to look silly, I'm not going to do that. I mean, I love karaoke, and that's one area that I can push through. But other people are like, oh, I'm not going to get up and, and do that. And yet people love to just have fun, and, and, but it's what we think that other people are thinking. It's when we walk past chari uh, charity workers in a, a supermarket. We sometimes see them there and we go, oh, because we don't want them to look at us because we don't want to have to say, oh, no, sorry, oh, no, I don't. Or some, there's some people who are just compelled to give because they feel guilty if they don't. And that used to be me too. I would just try and avoid the chari charity workers. But now I've got the confidence and the knowledge of who I am and what I know that who God is in me, that I say, sorry, I'm, I can't give today because I give to a certain amount of chari charities and yours isn't one of them. So sorry. You know, and that's not being mean, but it's just saying, you know, this is what... 
<laughs> being truthful about it. So I'm not scared anymore. The other day I was in the shopping centre and I saw this person walk past me. They nearly knocked me over. They went on the other side of me and they go, oh, sorry, I'm just trying to avoid the charity workers. And I felt sorry. I felt sorry for them because they just feel guilty. You feel guilty because you think they're going to think you're stingy. That's what it is. And I know I'm not stingy. So I just have to be confident and say, sorry, not today. So Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. So a snare is a trap. It's hidden. It's something we don't always see. Why is the fear of man a snare? Why is it so destructive? It's because when we fear man, we get trapped in behaviours and mindsets that disempower us and that undermine our identity in God. So as long as we live out of a fear of man, we fail to live out of our true centre where God is and where God speaks to us and empowers us and we give more value to people's opinions than we do to God. I just want to go through a few snares that there are, a few traps that there are, and you may relate to some of them as well. And I'm hoping out of this message that it's not to make you feel like, oh, I've got a real problem, but it's to encourage you, to encourage you that we don't have to think like that, we don't have to be like that. God has so much more for us. So the first one is people-pleasing and approval addiction. And I think we can all relate to that in some way or another. I was a shocking people-pleaser growing up. I... I was a fairly outgoing person, but on Sundays after church, I would try and talk to every single one of my friends and not miss one as I walked to the car. Oh, I didn't talk to that person. I'd run back and try, hi, how are you going? Because it made me feel better about myself if I thought that, that everyone had spoken to me and, and I had my feel-good feelings that I feel good now because they're all... They, were, they seemed to like me and I was funny and, and, and I was helpful. and So I felt really good about myself when I spoke to every single person who was my friend after church. Sometimes we go along with the crowd. We go along with the peer pressure like the child in the, um, in the experiment because we just don't want to look silly. We just want to be the same as everyone else. We don't want to change direction of, a, of an argument because we may look silly if we tell them our opinion. And they're all really strong people and I don't want to come under that so I'm just not going to say anything at all. That's people pleasing. As we get older, we might even say that, oh, look, I don't want to rock the boat so I'm just not going to say anything at all. It's better that we just keep everything peaceful. They've got their own opinions. I won't share mine. It's okay. It looks like wisdom and sincerity, but it's actually empowering the fear of man in us. And Bill Johnson says, any time we give a virtuous name to a dysfunction, we legitimise that dysfunction. We give it permission to stay and power to increase. Another side to people-pleasing is uh, maintaining your standing and your position with people. And this was really uh, clearly uh, stated in the Bible when many of the Jewish religious authorities believed in Jesus but they would not confess their faith for fear of um, being displaced from the synagogue. It says in John 12, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And we think of Nicodemus who came discreetly at night because he didn't want to be seen to be talking to Jesus. 
So even though they felt a witness in their hearts about Jesus and even though they felt that he was probably had the truth in him, they were more concerned about losing their position and status than following him. And we can think, well, that's really bad doing that. But if I really think about it, there's probably times in my life that I've done the same thing where I haven't actually stood up for what I really believed because for fear of maybe losing my position with people. A really interesting event took place with Peter, the apostle, who was guilty of people-pleasing. And in a way, Peter was like he was an amazing apostle and did so many uh, things for Jesus. Like his ministry was incredible with healing and supernatural power flowing through him. But yet he still struggled with people-pleasing. So in a way that's encouraging to us in the sense that God has great things planned for us in, a purpose, in our purpose and destiny. And we're going to struggle along the way. So when things happen, don't just think, oh, well, this, see, I'm never going to change. Because that's what the enemy wants us to say. You're never going to change. So this is to really encourage us that when things go wrong, we just say, God, forgive me, and we move on. So this is Paul speaking in Galatians. But when Peter visited Antioch, he began to mislead the believers and cause them to stumble over his behaviour. So I, Paul, had to confront him to his face over what he was doing. He would enjoy being with the non-Jewish believers who didn't keep the Jewish customs, eating his meals with them, up until the time the Jewish friends of James arrived from Jerusalem. When he saw them, he would withdraw from his non-Jewish friends and separate himself from them, acting like an Orthodox Jew, fearing how it would look to them if he ate with the non-Jewish believers. And so I, Paul, because of Peter's hypocrisy, many other Jewish believers followed suit, forming a clique and refusing to eat with non-Jewish believers. Even Barnabas was led astray by Peter's poor example and condoned this legalistic, hypocritical behaviour. So when I realised they weren't being honest to what they believed, I confronted Peter in front of everyone. This is out of the um, Passion Translation. It's interesting to note that this was after... Peter had had that um, vision from God saying that in God's eyes everything was clean. So he'd been taught by God the truth. This is what um, God had shown Peter. Peter said, Now I know for certain that God doesn't show favoritism with people but treats everyone on the same basis. This is what he was taught before that incident. It makes no difference what race of people one belongs to. If they show deep reverence for God and are committed to doing what's right, they are acceptable before him. And yet when, it, when the rubber hit the road, he still did the things that he thought would please the, the, his Jewish friends. We can do the same thing. See, fear of man can also cause you to operate outside your anointing and your giftings. Because what it does, you, you begin to fulfill the expectations of other people in your life and not what God's calling you to do. Because you want to please people. You want them to approve of you. So maybe growing up, your parents or people around you said, oh, you'd be really good at this. This is what you should do. You should become a teacher. That's your gifting. That's your calling. And especially if you've got strong personalities around you, but you feel that there's something else that you should be doing, but you toe the line with them because you feel like you need to do that, to have their approval and to, to please them in your life. And we do it in our everyday circumstances as well. And when we do that, we're not moving in the anointing that God's called us. We still might 
be successful in what we do, but it's not what we were anointed or called to do. Fear of man also results in an inability to make your own choices to the point where you copy other people's opinions or attach yourself to people to gain a sense of identity. I had a friend who um, I'd put on a spiritual pedestal. And so when I had to make important decisions in life about my spiritual walk with God, I would always ask her first because I thought she hears from God, so I'm going to ask her. But to the point where I depended on her, uh, her opinion for my happiness, it, it came into the most simplest thing of I got a new house cleaner at my home. And when I told her who it was, her face was like, hmm. And so straight away I thought, oh, shivers, I've done the wrong thing. I shouldn't have got this person. And she's on a spiritual pedestal, so she must know that this person's got problems and issues that she's going to bring into my home. So I had her once and then I told her that, well, I actually told a white lie, which is what people-pleasing does as well because I didn't want to hurt her feelings. So I said, oh, I actually can't afford to have you clean my house, so I'm, I'm not going to do it, do it anymore. And that's what people-pleasing does. I look at myself now and I think, what was I thinking? But so much wisdom comes with age, but it doesn't have to come with age. So people sitting, young people sitting here, you can have wisdom now by, by listening to the experiences of the older people and taking note and learning from us. But having such dependence on people's opinions of you leads to codependency. We become codependent or emotionally dependent on others, looking to them for our approval and our needs to be met. It can create manipulation and control. We allow others to control our lives to gain acceptance and approval. I had another friend, you're going to think I'm a real nutcase, but I had another friend who I went to college with. When she had a bad day, we had a bad day. When she had a good day, we had a good day. So I just went with the flow of what she was feeling. This friend was so... Uh, had such a strong personality. She moved to New Zealand, uh, sorry, New South Wales. I had my first child, my baby, holding him on my hip and the phone would ring and I would answer the phone and it would be my friend Debbie from New South Wales. And she would start this long conversation as she always did, all about herself and the things she was doing. And I felt compelled to keep talking to her because if I didn't, I would lose her approval if I felt like I wasn't listening to her. If I said, oh, look, I'm sorry, I've got to go, um, she would get all huffy at me. So Lee was upset. He'd be crying. I'd put him on the ground. I'd try and give him toys. Oh, yeah, 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 while I'm talking to her and trying to feed him while I'm talking to her. It even came to the point one day where she wanted me to pick her up from the airport. And Lee was only a baby. And so that was a big thing, driving an hour to the airport, picking her up an hour back. But I did it. What was I thinking? Years later, she, after she had her first baby, you know what she said to me? You know when you picked me up from the airport that time? I would never do that. Snare number two. The fear of man causes us to go against our own values and our own principles and compromise our beliefs. And I just want to use the example of Herod in, um, in Mark 6.18. Herod feared John the Baptist because he knew that the people loved him and he knew he was a righteous man and a holy man. But his wife didn't like him because John the Baptist had told Herod that his marriage to Herodias was unlawful. So she actually despised him. Herod at a party one time with a group of guests had his stepdaughter dance for him. And in his foolishness, 
he said to her, I will give you whatever you want in the kingdom. It was probably to impress his friends. Her mother convinced her to ask Herod for John the Baptist's platter, a head on a platter. And so she came to John the Baptist and she, she said that was her request. Sorry, she came to Herod and said that was her request, to have John the Baptist's head on a platter. Now Herod was exceedingly sorry that he'd made that statement and made, uh, gave her that request. But he didn't want to lose the respect of his guests. So he fulfilled the request. What a huge injustice that is to an innocent man. What a huge injustice just because you don't want to disapprove or, or be, um, yeah, make up your, your friends disapprove of you. Now, I haven't caused someone's death like Herod has in that way. But you know what I have done? I'll admit that I have listened to slander and gossip about people and not said anything for fear of disagreement and being disapproved of. And I don't feel good about that, that I've done that. But it was my fear of if, if I stand up now and say, oh, look, I'm, I don't think you should say that about that person. Da, da, da. You know, you're having fun and someone just, you're having this conversation. Oh, yeah, but what about her? Da, 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 da. And then in wisdom, you think, oh, look, I'm, I just won't say anything. And I'll just sort of pretend I'm doing something else and that I didn't hear. But it's really fear of man. If I was really brave... I would say, you know what, I know that there's issues there, but let's not speak the devil's testimony over that person's life because that's what he wants to hear. So that's what we need to do. It's never right to gossip. It's never right to slander other people. It's never right to say, look, I'm just going to tell you this, this and this and this because, you know, then we can all pray about it. Like, look, it is important to... If you've got an issue with someone, you do need to talk about it sometimes. But you do it covered in God's love, knowing how God sees that person as well. And then you change who you are in the hope that you role model your faith in God and God's love in you to other people. And compromising is is another thing that we can tend to do. And a good example of that is Aaron in, um, in Genesis, where Moses had gone up to the mountain... And all the Israelites were unhappy and they were um, being angry and upset. And you build us a gold um, idol so that we can worship that because we don't know when he's going to come back down. And again, what was Aaron thinking? He went and collected all gold earrings and made a golden calf and gave it to the people. And the people's response was, that the people themselves said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. What was Aaron thinking? That, that he would compromise his beliefs in that way to allow the people of Israel to worship another god. And fear of man causes us to fall into disobedience as well. And we know that with the story of Saul in the Bible where God had asked him to destroy all the Amalekites and their possessions. But it says in verse 9, But Saul and the people spared King Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. When Samuel asked Saul why he did not obey the voice of the Lord, Saul excused himself by saying he did what the Lord had commanded, but it was the people who took the plunder. God spoke to Samuel directly and And Samuel went directly to Saul, delivering this message. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, 
and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord because I feared the people. So he knew what he'd done. He didn't actually repent for his sin, but he acknowledged that that's what he'd done. And because of that, he lost the kingdom. He lost his kingship and he lost his comrade Samuel as well. And later in life, we know if we continue the story, that he later became delusional and tormented by evil spirits because he favoured the approval of man over God. And snare number four is fear of man can cause us to be double-minded. It's telling those little white lies which aren't really a lie. We think, well, it's just a white lie. We We can say that. If you think of the example of Abraham, who was a mighty man of God and feared and trusted God in all things, and yet when he went to Israel, uh, when he went into Egypt, he said to Abimelech, the king, that Sarah was his sister and not his wife. Now it was a half lie because she was his half sister, but he didn't say that she was his wife. I know it's funny, isn't it, when you think about that? But um, so. So he compromised in that way. And I mean, Abraham was an amazing man of faith and a friend of God. So how do we get free from the fear of man? What do we put in place in our lives so that we don't get trapped? That when we see it coming, we can stand and say, no, I'm not going to go there. And one thing, I just want to lay a foundation that firstly, we need to become self-aware rather than self-conscious. When we're self-conscious, we fear man's opinion over God's opinion. And when we're self-aware, we're God-conscious and we value God's opinion over man's opinion. So most of us get self-conscious from time to time and that's normal, especially if we're called upon to do something that we're not very good at or we've got a job interview or it's something new. And it's normal to feel that. But it's when we um, become consumed with thoughts of what other people are thinking of us, how are we going to look, maybe I'm going to look silly, maybe they're going to think I look silly, maybe um, they're criticising me and what they're thinking and they're smiling, but behind that smile they're saying things or thinking things about me. And, but very often the people who we think are judging us are not judging us at all. They're not even thinking about us. So I'll give you a profound statement. Don't believe everything you think. Because sometimes what you think is not, it's not truth. And they're not even your thoughts. They're the thoughts of the enemy that have come into your head. But just because you think it doesn't make it right. So you, that's why we have to look at, the, look at the way we think. Think about what we think in line with what God says. And I'll get to that a bit later, but... When we're too self-conscious, it's because we have a low self-esteem or a low sense of self-worth or significance. And, and we feel like others will think that of us as well. So actually the core issue here is it's not even what other people think. It's what we think of ourselves yeah. that is the problem. Yeah. And that has to change. So when we're self-aware or become self-aware, we have a good understanding of ourselves and we've learned the reason why we think and feel the way we do. Now, this doesn't mean that we've got rid of all our baggage, 
but we're at a point where our issues and the problems in our life aren't running our life because we're self-aware, we're aware of, of what's going on. And I like to use the analogy of um, becoming self-aware is like turning on the light in the basement and you see what's in the basement and the stuff that has to be gotten rid of. Turning on the light doesn't get rid of it, but turning on the light shows you what's there so that then you can begin to deal with it. And people who are self-aware have discovered that through partnering with the Holy Spirit, because that's what we have to do, we have to partner with the Holy Spirit, he shows us the reasons why certain things trigger strong emotional responses in us and, then, and, shows, and shows us the unconscious things that we do in, in response and shows us a better way. And I can honestly say um, last night I was at an engagement party and I've been doing this journey and have grown a lot in the journey. But I was at an engagement party and I came across an, a, a person who I knew from my teenage years. And all of a sudden, all these feelings of what I felt then towards that person and the way that she used to make me feel, all those feelings came welling up and I just found myself in, in a place where I didn't like who I was. I didn't like the feelings that I was experiencing. And I had to... Uh, Go to God, even in that moment, and say, God, what is this? Because this is not who I am. I know who I am in you now. And, and what I'm doing is what I spoke in my last message, is I'm actually grabbing my old clothes off the ground and putting them back on and living out of my old smelly clothes in that moment. So I had to consciously take them off and say, no, that's not who I am. I'm not wearing that junk anymore. But... We all have battles in our minds and it's all things that we have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And it does get better as we go along and we get stronger. But it doesn't mean that we're not going to be faced with that junk coming up in our lives again. So that's being self-aware. But we've all been shaped by our upbringing and our environments, our training, our modelling from our parents. And this causes us to either operate in a negative way or a positive way. And this is not to lay blame on our parents because as a parent, I know I haven't brought my kids up in, in, um, in the ways of, of understanding totally who they are in God. I've made mistakes along the way too. So this is not a blame thing. But we have to understand that um, what we had rolled model to us wasn't always correct. And that can affect the way that we look at life. See, fathering and mothering, the mother gives nurture and provides comfort and love and, and just that, that, that warm place, especially in those early years. And as you get older as a child, then the father steps in and brings identity and, and understanding of purpose and conviction of destiny and an awareness that in God all things are possible. That's what the fathers do. So when we haven't had that developed properly in our lives... We can have our lives based around a, a negative personality where we, we're fearful of being wrong. We've got, we've got fear of man in our lives. We're fearful of looking stupid, fearful of taking risks. We're hesitant. We're always wanting to be safe. We don't want to step out of our comfort zone. And we're defensive and we're easily offended. But when we've been fathered in the right way, when we know that, that we have, we're loved by our family and by God, when we know that who we are in God, then we have a positive place where we're more optimistic and we're trusting and we're willing to try and be challenged. We're willing to face challenges and we're brave and we're courageous and we're honest 
and we don't get defensive and we don't get offended and we value God's opinion over man's opinion. And that's what we're all um, working towards. We're getting free. Getting free of the fear of man is getting rid of that negative stuff in our lives and embracing our identity as God sees us and not as we see ourselves or as or we think others see us. See, what I think about God is the most important thing in the world. Who you see God to be is the most important thing in your life. It shapes you, it shapes your identity, and it shapes your self-awareness in the kingdom. But the enemy wants you in a place of unbelief about who God is for you and who you are in the kingdom. Because if he can make you self-conscious and not God-conscious then he can make you live below the line of your calling. And that's his aim. He wants us scratching around like chickens on the ground when God wants us to fly like eagles. I want to quickly share with you um, this story which really spoke to me. Some of you may have heard it, but it's a well-known story of a chicken farmer who found an eagle's egg. He put it with his chickens and the egg hatched. The young eagle grew up with all the other chickens and whatever they did, the eagle did too. He thought he was a chicken just like them. And I think chicken's a good analogy because I'm thinking of fear of man when you're a chicken. (laughs) Since the chickens could only fly for a short distance and not very high, the eagle also learnt to fly a short distance and not very high because that's all he thought he could do. He was limited. As a consequence, that's all he ever did. He just flew a little height like chickens do, about that high off the ground, a little distance like maybe here. I've forgotten your name and I was just going to say it. Bobby. Bobby. Sorry, Bobby. I thought it was going to be really smart. I know. Um, Bobby. <laughs> so they can fly about from here to Bobby. And that's all they can do. So that's all he thought he could do. One day, the eagle saw a bird flying above him and he was very impressed. Who is that? He asked the hens around him. That's the eagle, the king of the birds, the hen told him. He belongs to the sky. We belong to the earth. We're just chickens. So the eagle lived and died as a chicken, for that's what he thought he was. I hate that ending. So I've changed it. (laughs) the eagle who'd been flying in the sky comes and sits on the fence and says to the eagle on the ground in the chicken run you are an eagle you are fearless and strong courageous and brave you have great vision and discernment and the eagle on the ground me? you talking to me? You are made to soar above the storms of life, allowing the winds of the storm to lift you to a higher place, a place of peace, rest and power. Lift up your head. See how far you can see into the distance. And so the eagle did. I can see far. Spread your wings and see how long and strong they are. So the eagle spreads his wings. And then looks at the wings of the chickens. He goes, wow, I've got big wings. Look at the talons on your feet and how sharp they are. 
Wow. Maybe he's, maybe it's true. Yes, but... And the other eagle says, I will fly with you. Just stretch out your wings and flap and lift off. And so believing what the other eagle said about him, he flew off with a triumphant cry out of the confines of the chook run and into the wide open spaces. He flew into his identity. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? We're all eagles, church. God has called us all to be eagles, to soar above the winds of storms, to be able to see things from God's perspective, to have good vision, to hear from the Holy Spirit, not to be chickens scratching around on the ground looking for where the next bit of money is going to come or the next provision is going to come, but to look up and see where our provision really comes from and see where our strength and power comes from and our authority comes from. And the key is that God is going to talk to us in the context of our identity in the, eagle, in the kingdom, just like the eagle spoke to the other eagle. He didn't try and convince him and say, you know, what are you doing down there? Who do you think you are? He actually spoke to him knowing who he was. And that brings us quickly to the story of what, the same that God did with Gideon. Remember when Gideon was in the wine press and he was hiding from the, the Midianites? God didn't come to him and go, what are you doing in there, you big chicken? Get out of there. That is not who you are. No, God said to him, he called him a mighty man of valour. He addressed him as a mighty man of valour. Of course, Gideon's response was fairly negative. Who, me? Like the eagle in the story. Because any pressure or challenge or problem will bring our character issues to the surface, which God does in his mercy because he wants us to deal with them. A self-conscious person, a person who's fearful of man, will push those problems back down because you don't want to see them and you don't want other people to see them. So you push them back down and you don't deal with them. But a self-aware person sees that negativity come up and says, okay, what am I going to do with this? What are you teaching me in this God? Who do, you, who do you want to be for me in this situation? And God's response to Gideon when he says, but I'm the least of my tribe and my tribe is weak and I'm the least of them. God's response to Gideon is, surely I will be with you. He doesn't go into a big conversation about why he's not the least. He says, surely I will be with you. That's enough. Who God has called us to be and who we are becoming is always going to clash with our own negative thoughts about ourselves and the fear of man's going to be there. But we have to get used to it because that's always going to, that will be our battle. We're always going to face a battle when God brings negative things up in our life. It's going to be a battle, but we have to trust God and we do it, do it afraid anyway because he will be with us. Yeah. It's not just a matter of being more positive or if I'm just a bit more positive about myself. It's stepping into something. It's stepping into identity in God. It's practicing our identity as God sees us. And God, uh, Gideon did something that we can do too, and that's ask for reassurance because God loves us. Like he loved Gideon, like he provided Gideon with that fleece where Gideon asked that it be, the fleece be dry and the ground be wet and God proved it to him. And then Gideon the next day said, oh, well, I know you did that, but can you do it again? Can this time the fleece be wet and the ground be dry? 
And God did it again for him because he loved Gideon and he does the same for us. He loves us and he wants to reassure us that we can step out and do what he's called us to do because he's going to be with us. The interesting thing is that after the incident with the fleece, God then whittled down the number of men that Gideon had, which I think was about 10,000 at the time, to 300, which caused Gideon to have to lean into God even more, to trust God even more. And this is something that's, that God showed me that's so important in our, walk, in our walk with him. Even through fear, Gideon stepped out in obedience. He aligned himself with God with how God saw him, a mighty man of valour, even though he was afraid. And this is the way that, that I see it. When we align ourselves with God in the kingdom of who we are in him and of who, who he says we are, the righteousness of God, we have his power and authority. We can cast out demons. We can heal the sick. He loves us with an everlasting love. He's our provision. He's everything we need. When I align myself with him, it's like a plumb line. So behind the lectern here is where, where is my um, aligning myself with how God sees me. But often we step out of alignment because of our own fear, because of our, our fear of man, the way we look at ourselves, we, the way we think that people look, look at us. So I'm standing here to the side. This is just a picture, okay? So God's speaking to me here, but I'm over here. So I'm not hearing clearly what God is saying to me because I'm standing over here. God still loves me and he cares for me and he's there for me. But it's like, think about a long piece of rope. When you're here and the rope's attached right up there, you pull on it, it's really strong. right? You can pretty much use your weight and, it, and you can pull on it. If I'm over here and the rope's there and I'm pulling the rope from the side, biomechanics will tell me that I'm not going to have the same amount of pull because I'm not in a line with the top. So the same thing with God. When we need to step into who we are in him, even if we don't feel like it. We have to tell ourselves that that is who we are and we have to work from this position. So how do we make that alignment with God? How do we align ourselves with him? You know what? It's just practice, 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 repetition, repetition, repetition. We keep doing it, we keep doing it, we keep doing it. We don't say, well, I tried that for a week and it didn't work. When we're walking with God, we do it constantly. We're constantly aware of his presence. We constantly acknowledge that he is Lord over our lives. We declare scripture over ourselves. You go onto the internet, you can look up declarations of scripture and you'll get a whole list of scriptures that, that are so pointed. And I'll just give you a few of them. I, I am far from oppression and fear does not come near me in Isaiah. I am holy and without blame before him in love. I have the mind of Christ. If God is for me, who can be against me? I've received the gift of righteousness. I've received the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I can quench all the fiery darts of the enemy with my shield of faith. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is truth, church. That is who we are in him. We need to get out our, our prophecies and the things that people, the promises that, that we've read in the word that God's given us. We get them out 
and we live out of them. We don't live out of, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Oh, it's too scary. And oh, maybe they're going to think I'm silly. And we don't live out of that place anymore. We live out of the place where God sees us, who God sees us as. So when we get our prophecies, when we read the scripture and see the promises of God's of God's word. We live out of that place. Yes, I feel that, but this is who I am. So I'm going to step out and do what God's called me to do because this is who I am in him. I am a mighty man of valor. I have power and authority. So we we pushed back. When, when we develop that inner strength from, from spending time in God's presence, from, a, from soaking with him in worship, from allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us, from hearing his voice and not the clamor of the voices of people around us, when we sit with God, we, can, we develop an inner strength where we can push back on the lies. We're not just trying to be positive now. No, we're pushing back on the lies that we're hearing and we're claiming the truth and we're acting on it. And then we take courage in spite of fear and we step out in obedience because that is one of the most important things that we need to do. We need to be obedient to God. Yes, he loves us. Yes, we're saved. Yes, we can ask for his forgiveness. Everything that we've done has been forgiven at the cross already. Yes, we can repent and say, God, that's not the person I want to be. This is a person I want to be. But the key is that we still need to, to have that life and life in abundance. We need to step out in obedience to God. And so when we fear, have fear of man, in a way we're not being obedient to God. Oh, I'm not going to do that because it's too scary. But God's called you to do that. He still loves you, but you're being disobedient. Because he wants you to step out and do that. That's what he's calling you to do, whatever that may be. You know, you might have been asked to do something new in work and, and you feel that, yes, this is a God thing. But when it actually comes to it, it's really hard and there's a good chance you, you may fail and so you don't want to do it. And then you miss out on everything that God has for you because you're not walking in what he's called you to do. Don't let fear of man cause you to step off that road that destiny that God has for you. Because that's what it'll do. It'll push you off onto the side. And it doesn't mean you can't get back on. You can. But what we need to do is walk in the strength of who God is for us and, and believe that even when we're not feeling it. And can I just say a, a, another a last couple of things. You know, when you really begin to deal with the fear of man, the enemy doesn't like it. And sometimes other people don't like it either. And so you're going to face opposition, especially if you've been controlled and manipulated by other people and you begin to make a stand. They're not going to like it. But you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And you can stand firm on the knowledge of that and do it afraid. It's scary to tell people that you don't agree with them or that's not what you want to do or I don't like the way you speak to me. It's scary. It can be scary. But you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. On the flip side of that, the counterfeit of opposite of fear of man is to say, oh, I don't fear man anymore. I don't care about anyone. And then we become harsh and indifferent and callous towards people. So we've always got to walk in genuine love and humility. We've got to walk in the love of Jesus. But how wonderful does that look when we know who we are when we have the identity of, of who we are in God and when we know who God is for us, when we can walk in that, it's, 
and Andrew talks about this too, it's a position of peace and power because peace is a position of power. We can walk in peace when we know who God is for us, how much he loves us and the righteousness that he's given us and the love that we have that we can share with others. We, you see it yourself, you see people around you and, and people have commented on that of you, I'm sure, before as well, where people can say, there's something about you. What is it? What is it about you that's different? Because you're not running around like a chicken on the ground or even, I don't know if you've ever seen that when a chook's had its head cut off and it still runs around. <laughs> so you're not running around like a headless chook, but you're soaring like an eagle. Yeah. And people see that in you. Yeah. We're not the old man anymore. That's not who we are. And when you start to pick up your old clothes again and pick up that old fear of man or whatever, you say to yourself, that's not who I am anymore. That's not me. I'm a new creation. And you step out in obedience and you walk in who God's called you to be. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. Whoever trusts in the Lord. So everything is undergirded with trusting and obeying him. And sometimes I myself forget about that obedience. I think to myself, oh no, that's a bit scary, I won't do it. And, and I don't see it as disobedience. But when God's called you something, it is disobedience. And so we do it, but we do it afraid, knowing that God has got our back and he's gone ahead of us and prepared the way anyway. Fear of man keeps us in a small place and hijacks our destiny and purpose. God wants us to live in trust and obedience and have courage to break through into the freedom that he has for us. And I really encourage you that that's what, at Hope City Church, that's what we want for all of you, to walk in your purpose and in your destiny and in everything that God's called you and to walk in freedom and love. See, I'll go out in the foyer now and I don't talk to people because I want you all to be pleased with me now. I go and talk to every one of you. Oh, now I feel good about myself because I've spoken to everybody. <laughs> I go out there because I enjoy your company and I enjoy sharing what God has put inside me, his love, with everyone else and enjoy hearing your stories and enjoy encouraging you and vice versa. You do all do that as well. 